Hello, and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we are discussing Favourite by Astolat, Sensate, particularly episode 6 of season 1, and The Care and Feeding of Waspish Widows by Olivia Waite. Hello and welcome to episode 69. Nice, 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 nice. nice. Uh, I'm Alex and I am the marriage prospects. (laughs) I'm Freya and I am the member for Coxia. I'm Macy and I am the ball and bat. We are three redheaded fantasy authors, two of whom I am going to point out began this recording session by removing their pants. on and i will also clarify for the darling listeners that this is the american version of pants it is the american version of trousers i was taking advantage of the ambiguity oh i I see see that and i'm calling you on it well we just had some (laughs) wonderful little euphemisms there for your delicate bits uh macy would you like to explain how yours works either way so it's cockney rhyming slang for twat yeah but apparently both the other serpents believed that i was representing penis which which seems uncharacteristic for me yeah it is well there's honestly. a lot there's a lot of terms for the male genitals that have that combination like the twig yeah. and berries or yeah. the meat and two veg <laughs> yeah god <laughs> um before we go any further listeners, i feel like i should warn you the whole episode is gonna be like this so yeah. it's episode 69 what did you expect what did you expect we warned you in the outro last week um so if you're listening uh aloud with other people in the room maybe ask for their consent before we go any further <laughs> on this um this one is going to get a little explicit it's perhaps. gonna get it's gonna get i think not too much more explicit than we usually get because we usually drop mm. a couple dick jokes uh we sprinkle them throughout the episode. Um, anyway, before we get into any more fucking nonsense, uh, or nonsense fucking, thank you. Yes, that was intentional. Uh, what are we reading, fellow serpents? I have been reading a little bit less than usual, which for me is still quite a lot of reading because I have been writing the sequel to my debut. Yay. Yay. Which is going quite well. But I have read just finished recently the sequel to Nevo's novella The Empress of Salt and Fortune, which I really, really loved. So this novella is not out yet, so I got my hands on an arc. It is called When the Tiger Came Down the Mountain. It has the same scholar, collector of stories, framing narrative, but the narrative is one about a lady scholar falling in love with a tiger and creepy fox corpse ghosts and mammoths and it's a very Scheherazade kind of story about telling a story to try and keep yourself alive when a tiger is trying to eat you and also criticizing the way you tell the story and making you change bits (laughs) you'll love it Alex it's very very body chanty kind of it does sound exactly like my shit yes (laughs) I also read Boyfriend Material by Alexis Hall, which is a very charming fake Mm. dating romance. 
And I finished my reread of the Lyman's books by Dorothy Dunnett. <laughs> Good job. And like a fucking idiot, <laughs> decided to immediately leap into reading the Niccolo series, which is eight 500-page nice. books instead of six 500-page books. But I've only read the first one, and I just finished my reread of the first one. And so now it is uncharted territory, which in Dorothy Dunnett terms means I will be very confused for thousands and thousands of pages. And also sobbing occasionally? Possibly. I think from what I've heard from people who've read both, you don't get quite the same amount of, oh God, oh God, my emotions with Niccolo. (laughs) But I trust Dorothy Dunnett. I'm sure my emotions will do a thing nonetheless. (laughs) Bon voyage, dear. <laughs> Thank you. Frog speed. Frog speed. <clears throat> Macy? Uh, oh, gosh. It's been um, very hot. It has been so Macy? hot for poor Macy. M- poor Macy has been Macy melting. Macy is not very good at heat. No. <laughs> Macy no. is not very good at heat. It got. It hit 90. Anyway, we've been. it's been three weeks. I've read question mark nothing? Question mark? Well, it's question been mark. very hot, though. <laughs> it hit 98 degrees in Seattle, and I have like one tiny air conditioning unit that couldn't get my bedroom below 81. So sleep, what is sleep? A person cannot read in that those conditions. An English no. woman cannot read in those conditions because I'm <laughs> yeah. pathetic. Um, but we can we can be kind to Maisie about having no heat tolerance. There's nothing wrong with having no heat tolerance. No. No. <laughs> no. You cannot be kind to British people. That's not, that's not allowed. True, you're right. <laughs> You're right. We're, we're False. working. We're refused. Re- refused. Uh, we, we, refused. Yeah. Would you feel more so, comfortable if we just stood in a very small circle around you and yelled, Shame! Shame! shame. shame. <laughs> yes! <laughs> yes, thank you, Freya. You understand what I need. Um, I have, however, read. I did read a handful of uh, Game of Thrones fanfic um, because sometimes you just want, like, epic fantasy, but where you already know everything. Mm-hmm. You know, where you don't have to, like, think or make decisions. Um, And I also started a reread of Freeport because two question mark weeks ago, I swung into group chat in an absolute tantrum, yelling about how rude it was that my novella that I planned to write already had a plot and a plan, and I thus didn't want to write it. Yes, And so I swung in with like a 200 word excerpt of the beginning of a short story and went, Alex, tell me what happens in this. Yeah. Freya, give me a plot. (laughs) How'd that work for you? I I now am writing a completely different novella that didn't exist before. And it's full of space things and like fucky void gods and an extremely gay mechanic whose world falls apart on her. And then she has to deal with accidentally being an avatar for a god she doesn't believe in. Love all of this. So that's going to be fun for her. It's going to be be great. Um, So that's what I've been doing instead of reading. That's wonderful. We love to see it. We love to see it. I love this for me. Um... I have been still working on my big quilt project, which means that I have still... So many circles. So many circles. (laughs) Friends, I am getting so fucking tired of sewing, like, curved things to other curved things. I'm tired. (laughs) I want to be done. I want to just sew straight lines for the rest of forever. Anyway. um, What episode was it, Freya, in which we said that Alex would come to say these things? 
Uh, it was the prophecy that has it was now like been 67. <laughs> I think it was 67 because yeah. I think that's when I started talking about it. Um, but fiber arts, as you know, dear listeners, means that I listen to a lot of audio podcasts. So I listened to the latter 35 episodes of Campaign Skyjacks, oh, which God. I talked about on the last episode. It's fantasy airship pirates. The setting is based on the music of the Decemberist. It's super queer. You should absolutely 1000% go listen to it. It's so, so, so good. Um, I read a book, uh, Slippery Creatures by K.J. Charles. Finally got around to that. Uh, the library delivered it to That's me. That's a title. Uh, it was very good. It's got like, sp- it's quite like Think of England, which is another book that K.J. Charles wrote, <laughs> um, in that there's like a, a strong former soldier who's super buff and has morals, and there's like a sneaky <laughs> kind of uh, spy office. Uh, you I do those. love those. Um, and then they start falling in love. They're not finished falling in love because this is only the first book of the series. Um, uh, I also listen to a bunch of other audio podcasts. Uh, I won't go into them too deeply, but Love and Luck, uh, Caravan, Flyest Fables, and Supernatural Sexuality with Dr. Seabrook. Um, they are all, they're all extremely queer. I think, Freya, you would really enjoy Supernatural Sexuality with Dr. Seabrook because it's very Australian, uh, and (laughs) it is about a fictional call-in radio show hosted by a therapist, and she takes questions from supernatural creatures or people who are dating supernatural (laughs) creatures about like relationship issues or sex issues or like gender and sexuality issues um and like gives them really kind advice and i think a lot of the advice can really be applied to non-supernatural situations (laughs) so it's quite good i'm really fond of it um and i will be listening to more uh I think I already... So, moving on with the episode, uh, darling listeners, we already gave you the warning, but I just want to warn you again, we are going to get kind of explicit with this episode. There may be more dick jokes than normal. Uh, So, just be wary of when and how you're listening to the episode. (laughs) Yes. And we are aware that this is the second episode that we have done taking portrayals of sex in fiction as its vague, overarching Mm. theme. The last one we did was quite some time ago. It was episode 17. Ago? Yeah. Yeah. Possibly two years episodes, ago. 52 yep. episodes is two years. So 50 episodes is basically two, two years ago. Wait, no, there exactly. We, it's exactly, exactly two years. Exactly two years ago. I can't That's amazing. Nuts. We have been doing this for so long. <laughs> <laughs> so that episode covered quite a bit about the purpose of sex in fiction, especially in written fiction. Um, and how we can use it for character development and intimacy and the purpose of sex in fan fiction, etc., etc. Go and have a listen to that one if you haven't already or if you would like to refresh yourself. Yeah. We'll try and cover some slightly different topics this time mm-hmm. or at least make it more of a like 201 level course rather than a 101. That's exactly what I was going to say. But let's be honest, we could happily talk just in general about this stuff for more than two hours at a trot. Well, that's, that let's talk correct. about that again in two more years when we're doing our third episode about sex, uh, and we will prove you correct, Excellent. Macy. Uh, <laughs> um, so I think that I am starting out uh, introducing the first tentpole, uh, which is yep. Favorite by Astolat, always a favorite with us. Um, Drink. No joke intended, although sort of. Um, this is a Merlin fanfic, and it has a shocking, a truly shocking amount of sex in it, but it's not... <laughs> erotic um basically arthur and merlin sort of get kind of tipsy at a banquet and they like do it 
quick up against a wall and they're like that was like incredibly good and we need to like do more of that but i hate you but like i hate you and i can't stand you like you're the most annoying person in the world but also i'm going to like fuck your brains out at every possible opportunity while being like extremely bewildered at myself for my willingness to do this with such an annoying person and then they gradually fall in love it's a great fic it's so 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 funny um it's so meta and i love it's extremely meta because it's more about like like, the sex is just sort of happening, but, like, the intimacy is being built in other ways. And the sex is sort of there as, like, we found some common ground. We found one small piece of common ground, and that's, like, how good of orgasms we can have with each other. Yeah, it really is, like, two people who, you know, they're kind of friends. There's a power imbalance. There's some stuff going on in their relationship already. And then they find a shared hobby. Yeah! <laughs> What the story is about. <laughs> An addictive An shared addictive. hobby. They're both yes. like, we should really stop. I should really like leave right now and go do my work. Or we could fuck again. Well, maybe yeah. just one more time. And then it starts to... I, I like that because it explores it as just a pastime that the two of them very much enjoy. And then it takes it to the level of something that they are addicted to and very annoyed yeah. about. And then it starts to explore, okay, so given this person is the crown prince of a kingdom... What are the social implications if he spends all of his time fucking his yeah, servant? Yeah. Oh no, I'm gonna have to and set you up whole... as my favorite. God damn it. I'm gonna have to like buy you fancy tunics. And yes, don't complain. You have to wear them. Stop complaining. Uh, it's good shit. It's, it's yeah. just really yeah. funny. And it does a lot of things that only fanfic can do, because I mm-hmm. this couldn't work as an original story because they have sex so fast and you already know going in what the relationship between these two people is. And it's, mm. it was written around, I think season one yeah. where the dynamic between Merlin and Arthur was the very much one of clearly they care about each other, but nobody's going to admit it. And it was very English lads. Yeah. Very English lads. They spend a lot of time snarking and bantering and pretending that the other one is the worst person Pulling in the world. Pulling each other's pigtails. And you need that, emotional Mm pre-investment to go into this story because then you're sold on the fact that yes they actually like each other and just need some time spent together to discover it and the sex is you know it's it's the shared hobby but it's also it is the forced proximity mechanism like the Mm. fake relationship or the we have to go on a road trip or something it's just an excuse for these two people to suddenly spend a lot of time together so they can work out that they do like Mm -hmm. each other Mm -hmm. could make this work as an original story just not in quite the same way but you could certainly base a romance around a couple find a unexpected sexual compatibility and then the next day she goes into her new job and who is that behind the so great anatomy basically. <laughs> no you're right and actually yeah. like there are i think a lot of erotic romances the specific genre mm-hmm. of erotic mm-hmm. romance often right. does follow that arc yeah of two people who begin by hooking up with no emotional connection. And if it's an erotic right. romance rather than just an erotic novel, then by the end of it, sure. they will be, they will have their happily ever after or happily for now. And the sex will be the mechanism by which that is reached. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of an erotic romance yeah. with a lot of the erotica just skimmed over and used for bants. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> uh. But it's also so much about um, how fanfic writes sex as being this 
amazing, beautiful, nobody ever gets a pube in <laughs> their mouth oh, and thing. I, okay, I'm spluttering because, like, this is one of my favorite things that fanfic does, is that, like, it just lifts sex to this absolutely, like, spectacular level. Every orgasm is, like, equally splendid as every other orgasm. Everyone passes out after the orgasm as bright right, right, lights right. burst and, like, behind their eyes. You don't get too much sweaty, you just get, like, the exactly the right amount of sweaty. And, like, if there's a... <laughs> yeah. And that Unless the into it, which sometimes it. happens, your kink is valid. Um, and like, if there's any weird noises, then it's always like a sexy kind of weird noise. <laughs> so like, well, this definitely like when I was a, a young and tiny Alex, this definitely definitely set me up with some unrealistic expectations. <laughs> but I think you were right that this is a very meta story in that. For Merlin and Arthur in this story, the sex is magical fanfic mm. sex, but they're reflecting that it's never been like that but with they... anybody else. It's almost this soul right. bond level yeah. of it's perfect with you. But it's almost like gently mm-hmm. poking mm. fun at that um, because uh, fanfic doesn't normally acknowledge that the right. sex is not normal. Like they, they're normally like, oh, like it's it's better than my other sex, but it's not like there's something. Yeah, weird like in this, they literally go and they're like, could there have been a Are spell we... that has made the sex like, this hey, good? Gaius, because it seems we have completely. Been, like, yeah, is, were we dosed with yeah, the love right? potion? There's no way. This is like improbably good. So that's like going like five rounds in a row, and they're just like, <laughs> there has to be a sorcery at work here. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, good stuff. <clears throat> it's just uh, Arthur's royal scepter. That was a good one. That was Beautiful. very nice. That was very yeah, nice. Yeah, there we go. Actually, when, when I was so when we were preparing for the genital euphemisms of throughout history, um, I will make sure that we drop a link to the historical genital euphemism yes. timeline, which is one of my favorite things on the internet. When I was looking at, there is actually something. The Cyprian scepter was one of the ones that was mm. listed. Mm. Oh my god! Beautiful. I still like mine. The marriage yes. prospects. <laughs> Yeah, yours is very, like, classy, Alex, I have classy, to say. Classy, yeah. And like I mentioned before we started recording, like, it's pretty gender mm-hmm. neutral. Like, it yeah. could be it could be whatever you've got down there is, like, your marriage prospects. It's, yeah. ca- it's classy. It's kind it. of, like, vaguely threatening as well. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. <laughs> like, you're going to be judged on them. <laughs> it's just like, uh, now I'm just like, what does it mean to damage someone's marriage prospects? Exactly. Like, kneeing them in the balls or, like having sex with them before marriage which of those is it That's, see that to me that is probably the most likely context <laughs> yeah. in which that would have been used oh yep got him in the marriage prospect with me elbow you know? <laughs> anyway uh, anyway uh, darling listeners our next tentpole our next tentpole is quote the sex in the first half of season one of sense unquote mm. uh, kind of more specifically the Orgy in episode six of Sense8, which, as we discovered, Googling the orgy in Sense8 is a way to have some things in your internet history. A. B. Does not get you the episode because there were multiple fucking orgies. Here's a a fun thing. When I was watching this, I accidentally watched episode six of season two and I was like, oh, yeah, here's like. There's like quite a lot of sex in here, but I don't like I don't remember where the orgy is. And also, wow, the plot was moving a way lot faster than I remember. And I was like, oh wait, this is season two. Um, so here's the thing. Sensate is this fantastically queer show about the diversity of human experience. Yeah. Right? That's kind of the heart of it, right? It's about That's a good elevator pitch. 
you know? It's about what happens if we try to create the next evolution of humanity by merging the experiences of eight people with totally different lives and perspectives. Um, And I really loved that the very first... There was a lot of sex in Mm. Sense8. There's a lot of very explicit sex in Sense8. The very first sex scene is a trans woman being fucked by her girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm just like, yes, with, okay, with a rainbow good. dildo for pride. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I I respect this show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I respect this show. Um, but it also just has so many different types of sex. Mm-hmm. And the one that we were looking at particularly was uh, kind of the culmination of the people starting to realize that there's something supernatural going on uh, in that episode, um, in episode six. And experiencing one another having sex with their partners, kind of as like a group thing, with maybe about half of the sensates. Um, there's like two couples having sex, and then there is the German guy being very chill in a hot springs and remaining flaccid, as the show <laughs> takes pains to show us. Yeah, it um, does. It does take pains to then, show us this. And then there is a uh, cop fuck boy. Yeah, coming in his shorts in the gym. <laughs> yeah, it was so amazing that they show Wolfgang just chilling in this pool, like yeah, he's, he's watching down. some porn and hasn't worked out how he feels about it. Yeah, he's yeah, like, well, yeah. Fine. I'm not sure this is for me, but keep at it if you like. It's like, well, yeah. this is sort of happening. I'm like here, but I'm not that into it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very funny because later on, Leto, who is the gay character in that scene, confronts Cop Boy with being like. Have we met? Yeah, I sucked your dick. And <laughs> yeah. boy just like, we had dies. sex. He's like, oh, it was beautiful. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas you know that if he'd said that, if Lido had said that to Wolfgang, he would not have gotten that. Like, no. Wolfgang is straight, but Wolfgang's like, okay, that's fine. These, these things happen sometimes. Yeah. He's German. Like, he's very German about it. I feel like Germans are sort of like that. He's very German about sex. Well, I watched Sense8 for the first time for this episode. And so by now I am up to, I think, the second episode of season two. And Mm -hmm. the two-hour season two opener also has an orgy scene that is very similar, but it does involve all of them rather than only involving about half of them. And I think it serves a very similar purpose in that each time they show one of those scenes, it is a breakthrough in the amount of interconnectivity that the cluster has. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you're right that this one in episode six of season one is, I think, one of the first times we see multiple sensates connecting together rather than just pairs of them managing to be in each other's minds or each other's rooms. And it gives the impression that the sex is a medium by which that happens, that it has made them more open in a psychic way, in an emotional way, and opened those connections a bit wider. I think the show uses two things. I was noticing this through the first half of the season. It uses two things to do that sort of mind-opening, connection-opening piece. One of those is sex, and the other one is music. Yes, yes, it uses music Mm, a lot to do that. We saw earlier on um, multiple sensates experiencing Riley's song, the, uh, the what's it, the non-blondes. Mm-hmm. You know, I woke up in the morning and I went yep. outside. And oh, I... yeah, and they're all singing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. all hear it. Uh, and so it's kind of the music. And 
I don't know. I just think that's really neat. Mm. Like these are beautiful pieces of art. Like sex is in its way an artistic expression. Yeah. And like the way that it's filmed in Sense8 is like it raises sex to poetry and it's mm. like visual poetry to watch it. And it's like, look how beautiful these people are. Look how beautiful bodies are. And like how how wonderful this connection between people is. Mm. And the sex is quite stylized. So it's not yes. to the fanfic sense of everybody orgasms at the same time and it's beautiful and nobody's sweaty and there are no cubes. Like, I think because the rest of the show is so down to earth about Mm. people and humanity, you can imagine any one of the people in it having conversations about sex that get quite nitty gritty. Like, there is quite a bit of sex comedy in it. I'm thinking about the time when, I think it's when Wolfgang's brought a girl back. Carla? Oh, Carla. Yeah, Nala. I'm like, no, that's the person from The Lion King. (laughs) 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 And and Carla's attempting to ignore it. And there's just, and then (laughs) she's like, fine. Well, fine. Well, I'm going to have sex with with, with my my husband then. And then she breaks his penis. (laughs) Like any kind of show (laughs) that has somebody's penis being broken is not taking sex too seriously. But at the same time, you're right. It does use these particular orgy scenes as the equivalent of poetry or art or music in that, Mm -hmm. sure, everything is beautiful, everything is stylized, everyone in it at all times looks beautiful. But they're also each very much having their own kinds of sex, right? Mm. The way that Lito has sex is so performative. Yes. It's very funny to me. Uh, And that's just who Lito is. Whereas with Nomi... Uh, it's all about how in love she is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. With Neitz. Yeah. Um, that's, that's that couple. And it's not that Lito is not in love with Nando at all. It's just it's that, just they that are Lito both is very an visual actor. people. Yeah. It's Lito yeah. is an actor and Nando is an, an artist, artist or an and art historian. Yeah, and they are they're just both, very like that. They're very aware that what they are doing is beautiful. And in fact, during that orgy scene, we're performing for an audience. Yes. And I appreciate the show for, I mean, I sort of appreciate the show for giving us a woman masturbating, Mm. Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. you don't get very often. Yes. But it's also this very odd, like, female gaze on the gaze thing. (laughs) Yeah. It's a complicated, because, like, obviously, like, they are really enjoying performing for an audience. Yes. But on the other hand, like, there is sort of that... A, a thing that happens where a lot of women audiences over-sexualize or over-fetishize queer men. Um, right. So, like, it's kind of a balanced thing. Well, I think the show was saying in that in that specific instance, yes, they had consented to what they were doing and they were enjoying yeah. it because it yeah. puts a very clear delineation between what they did consent to and what they didn't, which mm. was that she took mm-hmm. pictures of them. Took she photos. turned them into yep. literal pornography. Rather than just, mm-hmm. this is a sex experience that all three of us have consented to and are sharing. Right. And, like, they end up in, like, such a unique situation because in the second season, like, Lito is referring to um, his boyfriend, and I forget her name. Daniela. Uh, Daniela. Uh, as family. Like, like he yes. addresses them as good morning family. Um, and, like, so they're clearly an established triad, but there's, there I don't think... It's it's weird and you totally unique to them about like how their sexual dynamics are playing out right. and how sh- how much she is involved or not involved, um, but clearly like they are they love each other and like they have space for everybody in their hearts. So it's a good and and wonderful thing to see. 
And this is one thing I think is really cool about queer artists, as the Wachowskis are, getting to have their say and make their mark. It opens the door to so many different expressions of sexuality Mm -hmm. on the screen, on the page, um, rather than saying sex is what happens when a man fucks a lady till he comes. Right, right. And we're done. And it's not putting sex into a box. It's taking sex out of the box and is like, well, it's going to be completely different for everybody who is involved in this. And like, how are the people who they are affecting the sex that they're having? Hmm. And the only statement that is made about sex, like the only thesis statement that somebody has is that it's nothing to be ashamed of and it's Mm. a source of joy. I think the line that someone actually says is we all came from sex. We shouldn't be ashamed of it. Um, and, you know, a source of joy. It was interesting watching it. I actually paused about halfway through season one and Googled sensate son ace rep question mark. <laughs> and was slightly disappointed to find out that no, in fact, in season two, she gets um, a love interest of her own because she was being presented as someone who had this entirely, you know, full and satisfied life with no uh, romance right. or, you know, sexual encounters that we see. And yep. so I think even though the Wachowskis have created this story about queer joy and found family, the sex is just one axis of that. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, yes, that they, they, all these people with different sexualities and different meanings of sex in their life do sometimes come together. But the scenes where they're having sex together is no more or, or less important than the scene where they're all sitting in the audience at a piano concert. Right. It's about the depth of the emotional experience. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we have one more tentpole to cover. We do. Yes. Before we move on. Fair. So the last tentpole is one that I mentioned as my I had been reading recently, and I'm very happy that I managed mm. to get these two to read it as well. <laughs> so this is a historical romance novel called The Care and Feeding of Waspish Widows by Olivia Waite. It is the second book in her Feminine Pursuits series, which are Regency romances that are both FF, And there's a third one coming out soon, which I'm very excited about. (laughs) Uh, So this is the romance between Agatha Griffin, who is a widow. She is a grumpy London manager of a print shop. And she's attempting to run her husband's printing business and also to raise her son and manage her son's romantic life and his, (laughs) uh, um, I guess, not quite seditious, but certainly quite rebellious and anarchic tendencies. (laughs) Yep. while also, you know, maybe not taking as much time for her own pleasure and her own life as she could. And yep. she meets Penelope Flood, who is married, which we sort of find out later in the book is a, very much a marriage of convenience between two queer people <laughs> who are using each other for cover. Small town beekeeper. And they yeah. run into each other because when Griffin, I love how much they call each other by their surnames in this, so they are Griffin and Flood. Yes, so great. When Mm -hmm. Griffin goes to this small town and tries to get some printing plates out of storage, she discovers that some bees have gotten into them and begun to lay honeycomb. So she has to call the beekeeper to come and get the bees out and set them up in a hive. There is so much bee shit in this novel. If you want to know about bees, (laughs) read this book. I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the bee Did you notice the the pun (laughs) um, with the the name of the town? It's called Melaton. Oh, honey. Like honey. Yeah, yeah. Like Mel for honey. Mel- like malif- like mellifluous, which means uh, flowing honey. like honey. Like as soon as they yeah. had the name of the town, I was like, ah, oh, it's a pun. 
<laughs> very good, Freya. I missed that. That went right over my head. And it's a sorry, it's a very nice book. It's got a lot of small town interconnectivity, a lot of queers in the small town as well. And it does take a long time for them to have sex, but I think it does some stuff with the sex scenes that I particularly liked. What did you guys think about mm-hmm. this book? I really liked this. I like. I enjoyed... Uh, it does the standard romance thing of kind of swapping off POVs. So you kind of get the yearning and the attraction from both of them. And there is a visceral attraction between them, which mm-hmm. it's not just, you know, lesbians are only attracted in an emotional way and not in a sexual way. No, right? they want to fuck. Yeah. They, wanted to, they, they wanted to fuck. Yeah, they um, are very, very thirsty. Yes, uh, that was fun. Yeah. yeah. I really loved... Um, so both both Flood and Griffin are middle-aged. Mm-hmm. Uh, Griffin's son is 19 years old. And so the description... I think. Yeah, like mid-40s, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so like the descriptions of sex were like very much a love song to bodies that aren't as... as perky and and svelte as perhaps they once might be um there's this bit about like the delicacy of flood's skin yeah like how your skin gets softer as you get older yeah and like thinner and it's just so lovely because it's like uh, it's griffin treasuring that about her right or like the softness of her stomach because she's Mm -hmm. you know she's given birth and like that does things to your body um so just like it was very like warm and and welcoming and body positive i found and like there was some some amusing lines about like how oh we're too old to have sex on the floor these days (laughs) and and it's just like so like joyful and fun and like like clearly good positive experiences for both of them Mm. And obviously as a romance novel, it's making very specific choices about where the sex comes in the story. And I did that. <laughs> it's quite a slow burn. I think they so have sex sweet. maybe at like the seven, six, like almost the 70% it's pretty mark. pretty late. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't do yeah. the, the, the classic romance thing of sort of putting some sex in at, at the midpoint. Um, and it very much did almost the opposite to what Favourite does in that you see all the feelings. There's a lot of thirst and lust going on, but it's feelings, feelings, feelings. Mm. There is the in-text realization that they have fallen in love before they even kiss. So it's showing that, yes, you know, these people are developing a connection. They are developing an intimacy. They would really like to be fucking the whole time, but it's only (laughs) after they admit to themselves that their feelings are serious, that it is that they have enough at stake to take that risk. For themselves, so I think both of them see it as it, it is a risk. risk. Both of them see yeah. it as a particularly yeah. large step, not just like, oh, I guess we could just, you know, fuck around and see what's happening. And it's partly the social situation that they're in, and partly the size of their feelings and the importance of the friendship mm-hmm. to both of them. They both see yeah. it as a step that would not necessarily make things. It's definitely going to make things more complicated. Yeah. The thing that I also really liked was like just the existence of community. Like by the end of the book, their families know that they're in love and that they want to be together and their families are totally accepting of that family in this case, meaning um, Penelope's <clears throat> sibling and hus- quote unquote husband uh, and uh, Griffin's, at least her, her female apprentice. I, does her son notice or is he a little bit oblivious? I forget. I feel like Eliza would have mm. told the apprentice would have so the apprentice and the son are together the brother and the husband are together yeah um and so there's just like couples yeah there's a lot there's a lot of romance in in this romance and i love especially that for a 
for someone who is entering into a relationship that would have been thought of as shocking, not necessarily progressive, but shocking at the time, she is quite conservative in her mm. approach to it. Mm. Whereas, you know, her, her apprentice and her son are like, we're in love, we're going to be together, but we're not going to get married. She's like, <gasps> <laughs> marriage is a trap for women. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but there's a lot of things, like, especially thinking about what happens in the sex scenes, like, the sex is extremely hot. There is some hair pulling. There is using <laughs> surnames in bed, which I particularly find enjoyable mm-hmm. on the page. Mm-hmm. And I loved the, the, the use of sex toys as well. Yeah. <laughs> that, that with Flood funny this, names. With funny names that Flood has, because her, her husband and her brother work on a whaling ship, apparently there is a Nantucket whaling name for a dildo called a he's at home, which is for the wives that are left behind when their husbands go off on months long whaling trips. Yes. Gotta yes. give her something to use. Yep. Historical sex toy use all the way. It's a very, very good yep. book. It was, I, when I was researching, I was going to write a story ages ago about like medieval witch lesbians and birds and stuff. Um, but like, I was looking into what would get you convicted of being a lesbian? Like, what what can you be convicted of? Uh And you could be convicted of sodomy, right? Right. Yeah. But you can only be convicted of sodomy if there was penetration going on. So basically, you would get convicted of being a lesbian for having dildos? Ah. Yeah, because everybody knows that no sex is happening unless something has penetrated someone. Right. And like, fingers, I guess they can't... Like, prosecute you for having fingers. No, not delicate. <laughs> delicate lady fingers can't do sex, Macy. <laughs> so, yeah, like, all of these lesbians being like, you can't prove that I, I was kissing her out of affection. Yeah. Exactly. All these nuns. All these very friendly nuns. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. There was so much sex happening in um, abbeys and monasteries. Like... <laughs> Uh, I have, I actually have a, a, a small segment about that in the book that I'm writing at the moment, oh, which is an good. FF book where the chaos by is explaining to the baby lesbian that you can actually get away with a lot more as a woman because of mm-hmm. what is considered normal among the bounds of public affection. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Which, all right, so that brings us to both Macy and I have mentioned something to do with our own writing craft. Mm-hmm. I think we talked a bit in the first sex episode about sex writing and why we do it and how we do it. Mm-hmm. And somebody has written a dot point that says Freya's sex writing corner 201. Yes. So taking advantage of some of the uh, elements of pedagogy that I have learned here, Alex, <laughs> as a yes. self-proclaimed graduate of the Freya Mask School <laughs> for gentle people and perverts who want to write sex real good, can I get you to maybe give us a bit of a talk about some of the things that you have learned? What were your take-home messages I during your studies? I certainly can, but I do want to like tweak slightly your wording there. You say that I'm a self-proclaimed proclaimed graduate, but you gave me my diploma, so like I think it's That's official. True. You are a, you I, are an official graduate. An official graduate. <laughs> Thank you, Freya. Please, I got a degree in this. Um, okay, so what are some of the things I have taken away? So, okay, when we recorded episode 17, way back in the before times, I was, I had not written sex scenes before. In the two years since then, I have graduated from Freyamar's School of Writing Sex Real Good, and I feel much more confident about it. I think that before I was getting really caught up in, like, describing physical acts, and really it's much less about the physical acts and much more about um emotions and 
you can be quite abstract with like the sensations as long as it's like more vibrant and and evocative and that will that will work perfectly well uh and then like once you get your head around like doing it a little bit more abstractly it gets suddenly way easier to just like be straightforward and talk about the actual physical acts (laughs) um so going into it slowly yes macy you had a question well i no i was just thinking that this was kind of reminded me of one of the difference i was noticing between how fanfic writes sex Mm -hmm. and how certainly pro-romance does i was noticing so freya and i read um another book the red um in preparation for this and Mm -hmm. certainly even with waspish widows there's more description of the physical act whereas fan fiction is very focused a lot of the time on the emotions Mm -hmm. and the emotional response but i think that that varies widely right i think Mm. it i think it does and fan fiction as i perceive it also has more about the sensations without necessarily tying it literally to like the blow blow by blow if you will uh (laughs) description of what's going on physically right so i've 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 certainly read some fanfic that is much more on the side of, yes, we're going to explain everything that's happened here. <laughs> Obviously, as with everything, there is a spectrum yes, in, the, right. in fan fiction, it being a medium rather than a genre in of itself. So the book that Macy mentioned, The Red by Tiffany Rice, is an erotic romance mm-hmm. that is an erotic fantasy romance, which is why I, I raised it as a possible tentpole for this, but we decided not to use it. Mm-hmm. And because it's an erotic romance – the sex starts very early and is a book about sex. Like every chapter is a different sexual experience. There is some blurring of lines between what is real and what is fantasy, what is magic, what is not magic. What is consented to and what is not what is consented, not consented to. to. Like it's quite a kinky book. And because of that, because for most of the book, it is about the, like it's very centered on the protagonist's experience. Yes. Sure. There is, there is a love interest and the extent to which it is actually a romance and they are perfect for <laughs> each other emotionally is not, as much gone into like it doesn't really end with yes this is my perfect match because Mm. of various things that happen in it it's more about one person exploring fantasy Mm -hmm. and also about for the reader what is the kink and what is being consented to so some of the things that happen to her possibly you wouldn't want them to happen to you because the lines of consent have been blurred or you wouldn't necessarily think well this is not really an enjoyable experience for me but as a reader, you have consented to read a book that is exploring these particular kinks. And I think that's an interesting thing to think about as a writer when we're looking to approach sex in our work. Particularly, we all write science fiction and fantasy, right? Um, and there's been a lot of sex in SF and F um, for a long time. Um, so books I'm thinking like Kushiel's Dart, which we tentpoled the other mm-hmm. time. Um, even Anne McCaffrey has explicit quote-unquote sex in it i quote-unquote because many including me would consider some of that just to be rape um and i see a lot of older stuff goes through it fairly quickly and moves on but then you get to things these days particularly tor.com is putting out tor.com publishing is putting out a lot of science fiction and fantasy that uses the sex to explore the world building Mm -hmm. to explore the magic systems to explore the societal creation of power structures that are not existent in our world that are kind of speculative mm-hmm. um but are kind of metaphors for us and i think that's super cool and i was wondering freya if you wanted to talk a little bit about you know using 
uh, fantastical sex as a 201 writing topic. Ooh, yes. Well, I think, <laughs> yeah, you're right in that that was a very high level way of putting it in terms of using sex to explore these fantastic ideas and vice versa on a slightly more nitty gritty and less philosophically minded level. <laughs> you can also just get away with doing some really cool shit mm, if you no, have got science fiction and, and magic in your novel. Um, and I certainly am really looking forward to seeing what writers do with that going forward. I personally really like it when magic is used in bed in mm -hmm, stories. Yep. And I think Harry Potter fanfic does this quite a bit because every the rules now and of, then. every now and again, Harry Potter fanfic, like the magic in it has got so many holes in the world building that you can basically <laughs> do whatever you want. And so if you want someone to have a magic spell that magically takes someone's clothes off and another smell, smell, yeah. <laughs> And another spell that, spell that gets you lubricated, and then another spell that makes you definitely orgasm at the same time. Sure, God, why, why not? not? So it takes that whole idea of sex in fiction being fantasy and being too, you know, too perfect for real life, and says, "What if you wanted to add some extra stuff to that fantasy?" It's almost using magic as a sex toy. Yeah. Yes. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, it's something, you know, this is something that you don't necessarily need, but you can add a whole other dimension and let's play. And I think for me, a good sex scene in a story is either something that's very much to do with characterization and intimacy, or it's something that feels like play. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is the difference between historically what science fiction and fantasy sex scenes have been like, where they're much more about here's something very important that is happening, uh, you know, either... It, the person is not enjoying it and you're not enjoying it as the reader, but this sex is taking place now and we're going to hear about it. Yeah. Because dynasties, Freya, we're going to conceive an heir. Ugh. Because Ugh. dynasties or because this person's <laughs> a villain and we have to know how villainous they are by how they're yeah. behaving in this scene. Yeah. Uh, versus the acknowledgement that for a lot of people, sex is an enjoyable hobby. Yeah. Like and, it was in favorite. Like it's something but, that. And like, can... it's a thing that we can talk about. And, like, sometimes sex is, like, just stopping and, like, talking about it for half an hour before you do anything. I think that that was another thing that, like, helped me learn how to write sex was, like, learning how to write about people talking mm. about sex. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's one of my favorite things for on a craft level to do when you're writing the development of sexual intimacy and sexual desire is not necessarily mm. show people doing things from the word go, but you can do a lot with what is happening inside someone's head. Like, mm -hmm. what are they imagining doing? Yeah. And yes. then, what are they discussing doing? Right. Yes. And yeah. also communicating. Like, what's yeah. the body language communicating? Not even the bodies, like, in the sex, but, like, the expressions. The, like, are, are, your, are your shoulders brushing? Like, how intimate are you? Yeah. Because sometimes it's much harder to talk about having sex than it is to, like, have the sex. It's almost the inverse of what you were saying about you know, a good sex scene showing emotion and sensation rather than actually discussing the anatomy and the act. You can actually do quite a lot where you are removing the sensation from it and having them discuss the act because that mm -hmm. is such a character point as mm -hmm. to what, what are they comfortable yeah. saying, what do they imagine doing, what will they say to one another, and that sets up the relationship. And in some ways it's much more vulnerable to, like, talk about things. Mm. But Macy has pointedly uh, 
highlighted in our dot point here. Monster fucking and you a beginner's guide as another thing that you can do with uh, sex in, in SFF. I was the person who wrote that dot point. I will own to yes. it. Because yeah, like when, when you're writing sex in SFF, you don't necessarily have to keep it to humans. You can like open it up to a whole range of sentient beings who are able to consent. But I think this is also reminding me a little bit of us talking about um, the sex that our B lesbians have where exploring one another's bodies can be vulnerable and scary and allowing someone mm-hmm. else to explore your bodies and like there are stretch marks and you know this thing doesn't curve the way you might think it should um jiggly things jiggle <laughs> shit's gonna jiggle things i'm jiggle. sorry or or, it, or they won't and maybe you'll have feelings about the fact that they don't too that's fine yeah. um yeah. and i think that i have really enjoyed a lot of the sex writing in Homestuck, where it's characters who are of different species being like surprised and then learning about each other's bodies because it's mm-hmm. new to them, and just having the kindness to not go ew, you know? Yep. Um, there's yep. this. I'm trying to think how to put it. This sense of like rewarding vulnerability rather than shaming it um which reminds me a little bit of the hope punk grimdark dichotomy again right right like you you reveal part of yourself to to someone and sort of like the sexes is functioning as a metaphor for like more um severe vulnerability like emotional and and psychological vulnerability where you like reveal part of yourself to someone and they're like oh okay this is part of you and here's something weird about me too Right, and I think that one of the authors that we featured last time was Layla, uh, and we'll yep. ask subscribers to link that, who does a bunch of work in that space mm. with, like, strange bodies. And I think that's mm-hmm. really interesting. Mm. But Another, uh, another yep. layer that's almost, again, on the other side of the coin from that that you can do in science fiction is the extent to which sex can be cerebral only. So if yeah. you have, like, a telepathic bond or an empathic bond or even... Victory condition. Well, I was about <laughs> to say robots... <laughs> Um, or just like a hard link into my data port. <laughs> We're going all the like, way back to our roots. <laughs> yeah, like but nobody is lusting after anybody else's body parts in that story. No. And, you right. know, you can have romances with a human and then an AI who can affect their neural connections. Or, you know, if you want to, you can explore how can somebody experience sex just mm-hmm. on a cerebral level. Like there's a lot mm-hmm. of soul bond or telepathic bond stories. Yeah, where, astral projection. <laughs> where yeah. people manage to like, you know, go into each other's minds and experience an intimacy that is so intense. It is basically sexual. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. one of them is jerking off and the other one is in their mind and gets turned on as well. Or just, I'm horny for your brain. You know, anything at all yeah. that that can take place that divorces the body from the experience. Or a ghost is possessing you. And, like, <laughs> it's only, like, it only involves one body, but, like, the body belongs to both of you. <laughs> Alex is saying this because I have a ghost threesome planned in my yes. novel. <laughs> <laughs> I well, love this we didn't me. manage to get you to talk about the electricity bit in A Marvelous Light, so. No, that's true. I kind of skirted around it, but all the things I was saying about Harry Potter fanfiction and using magic in bed, my debut, A Marvelous Light, out next year from Tor.com Publishing, has a scene in it where a couple experiments with the use of magic that affects nerve endings in order to create pleasure. And 
the implication is that one of them has done it to himself before and it was sort of a side effect of him experimenting with how to affect his own body and what can magic be used to do but obviously it can also be used in a sexy setting with a partner and it is very much being used as a sex toy like they're basically doing sensation play Mm-hmm. Yeah, using magic as a tool. It's it's funny to me as well thinking about specifically the fact that you made it electricity and like we can't go into it too much now. We'll have to save this for like the the day that we tentpole uh, a marvelous light. Uh, I look forward to it. But um, like the way that in Victorian times or whenever electricity was first sort of coming into common usage, it took like five minutes before someone was like, how can we apply this to sex? (laughs) The Victorians were very into things like nipple piercings Mm -hmm. and like whips. Uh, They were very kinky, um, which is something else. And like electric vibrators. Almost any kind of Victorian pornography that you can find will be like, it'll be like five seconds before somebody is being flogged. Like just (laughs) spanking all the time. <laughs> all the time. Well, they all went to schools, I guess, that had spanking, and it was yeah, yeah, they all grew up with a very something. weird relationship uh, to the idea of being caned. Uh, I have read a truly shocking <laughs> amount of Victorian porn because it's shocked, so Alex. it's so funny. It's extremely funny. It's like funny. not even sexy. It's just funny. Like part of it is because it's written in the Victorian voice, yep. which we have been trained to expect is like high formal and like like this is literature like charles dickens or whoever except it's about sex great literary merit right right um so it's this voice of great literary merit and then it's like got a hundred weird euphemisms for dicks it turns out lots of people have had opinions about sex and all of your ancestors probably (gasps) had sex oh my god (laughs) shocking (laughs) truly shocking yeah, even the dead ones. Yep. 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 <laughs> what, what's the next thing we're talking about? We've got like five minutes to fill in here, folks. Oy, 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 oy. Yeah, we should talk a little bit about like, there's always yelling going on online about like, there's this dirty type of sex in this fiction. Mm. Um, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, your kink is not my kink and... Figuring out how to read things that, like, keep you happy and safe. Yes, I think that your kink is not my kink and that's okay is a thing that we used to have in fandom and we have as a society tragically walked away from. And I think that we need to get back from that because there's no reason to have this, like, really puritanical approach to sex where we have decided that sex writing is okay but only some sex writing only if it's the right kind of sex and if you're writing about the wrong kind of sex then you're wrong and bad um because like unless you can prove that you're doing it to deal with your own personal trauma which you will now show me in public yeah exactly exactly like you have to disclose all of this personal stuff about yourself rather than just like writing the thing that makes you happy for whatever reason it makes you happy and like as long as you're not hurting anyone it's probably not gonna like tear down society and i know freya has some thoughts about um the difference between expectations in like romance versus literary fiction here right yeah and especially like romance as a genre and romance landia as writers and readers are on top of this shit right like they understand that some of the stuff that is explored in romance or in erotica is not for everyone. Mm -hmm. And some people will find it confronting or be completely turned off by it or not want to read it. And the understanding is, is basically, yes, your kink may not be my kink, but you have to make sure the reader goes into it with consent. 
informed informed consent, consent yeah. to say this is a story that explores daddy kink or this is a story that explores you know rape fantasy mm-hmm. that is what it's about do not read it if you don't want to i am putting this warning on it and romance right. as a community is very good at communicating that and the way that the marketing is set up usually is also set up in order to market what kind of content a book has yeah. like here is mm-hmm. a heat rating scale this is right. a book that contains, you know, only closed doors, all the sex happens off page. If that's what you want, great. This is one that contains, you know, explicit threesomes with kink. And if that's what you want to read, here it is. Like it shows you, right. it helps direct you towards what you are comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Ideally, fan fiction, and especially places like AO3 that have a comprehensive tagging system, right. are also set up in order to help people steer away from things that they don't want to read and find the things that they do want to read. And that is about consent of a reader. Yeah. The problem comes when people take, I take, you know, this is not my kink and I don't think it should exist Mm. as the next step. And look, it's a difficult discussion to have on a superficial level. Like I think you do need to sit down and say, okay, here is the difference between pornography and reality. Here Mm -hmm. is the difference between portrayal and supporting a thing in real life. And also, here is the difference between consent of a reader and consent of a character. So Mm. some people will want to read kinky books where the characters are engaging in fully informed consent. They will have discussions about the scenes that they're going to have. They will have a discussion about the kink. Yes, here is my safe word for this rape scene that we are going to do, both knowing that it is a scene. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, And, you know, that's... I think and in some ways that's a way people will say, okay, I want to read people engaging in my kink, knowing that it's as a, a kink, kink. Yep. as a kink, engaging in it safely, engaging in it consensually, providing a model for how that could be done in a real person's bedroom, which is different to here is a book that explores slave kink, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. in which nobody is consenting. There are no right. safe words. It is portraying a kink using characters. And that's the kind of thing where the reader is the person who has to consent and the writer is responsible for telling someone, this is what this contains. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do not go into it if this, is not, if this is something that is going to distress you. And also we have, to, we have to talk about how the reader has a responsibility to look after themselves because like, the writer has a responsibility to put up the warnings and to make sure that people are warned about things that may be upsetting. But then the reader has a responsibility to look up those warnings if they are a person who needs to be warned or if the the warnings are right in front of them and check in with themselves and say, is this something that I can handle right now? And if it's not, then step away from it. Because mm, I think that the problems tend to come when people feel betrayed yeah. by a piece of fiction that they expected something from. Like here is a book. I've seen some discussion in romance that people are saying the trend towards like cartoon covers Uh, has been a little bit um messy in that sense because it looks cheerful it looks really cheerful it looks like this is a rom-com you know there may not even be much in the way of graphic sex in it because traditionally romance covers have to some extent signaled the heat level or the kink level Mm -hmm. of what is inside Mm -hmm. and when you have a trend for covers that people are used to signaling one thing and then they start reading it and they're like, actually, this is something in this that I was not expecting and that I would have liked to be warned about or I wouldn't have read it if I'd known. Yeah. That's when you run into trouble because they're assuming that they have consented to something because they are used to a certain level of signaling. Mm-hmm. 
And then the signaling has changed without them being aware of it. And I think you said something, uh, maybe it was on Slack a while back, about how there really has never been a tradition of signaling in Litvik. And that helped me to realise, like, why I don't get on with Litvik. I would love to get on with Litvik, but I find it impossible to tell which ones I want to read yeah, because of that think, lack of signalling. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, you, there were a lot of books when I, that I read when I was reading, like, Booker Prize winners. Or sure. just, you know, I've heard this is really good. And, yeah, a review might just be like, mm, it explores some dark concepts. And that could be almost anything. Yeah, that could right. be like, this contains graphic scenes of domestic violence. Or this contains... Someone who clearly had a sexual relationship with her twin brother when they were in their teens. Like, I've seen a lot of that in literary fiction. Yeah. Nobody's going to put a warning on that. Yeah. The cover's just going to be like, oh, this is a litfic. And if that's what you expect, like, if you expect not to be able to expect things, then that is one thing. But if you're coming in from another genre where you're used to having signaling, mm-hmm. which mm. I'm I'm so steeped in SF and F at this point, I do expect a degree of signaling. Yep. you might not get what you want. Yep. So Mm. I think that generally we just need to, and I think that this is starting to happen in the publishing industry, but I would Mm -hmm. like to see it pushed further more where we put somewhere in the book the tags and trigger warnings. And like, I think putting them in the back of the book uh, with a note at the front saying, hey, there's tags and trigger warnings in the back of the book. If you want to look at them, flip to the back, which means that the people who don't want to be spoiled, the people who want to go into it with a completely blank slate, have that opportunity for themselves. And the people who do want to have the information available to them beforehand, have that option available to them as well. It's really just all about opening up the opportunity for people to consent more to what they are reading. And to their own experience. I've seen some books, like, either being for sale in certain websites or on Goodreads mm-hmm. where the blurb has contained some content yep. warnings. And I think that is a really excellent yep. trend. I mean, and I've put them on my website. We are talking here about uh, how to provide information for readers to have informed consent. There is a much broader discussion uh, that we're not really talking about now, just to be clear, about what sorts of things... Um, should be platformed in the first place um, and like the sorts of things like some pieces of fiction are advocating rather than just presenting mm-hmm. Um, mm. and that's a completely separate topic we don't have time to get into it now I just wanted to be really clear that we yeah. are not we're not saying that that is dealt with just by putting trigger warnings on right it. right it's a huge and complicated issue and this cannot possibly be solved in a single one hour long podcast episode. Particularly by, not the funny sex Right, episode. by three gremlins. <laughs> Which we accidentally... <laughs> yeah, sorry, we took our funny sex episode and just stapled a serious seven minute discussion sorry, about kink on the end. darling listeners, there's yeah. politics there is. in sex. There's always been politics in sex. Yep. That's just how it be. But it, it can, can be, be fun. fun too. How about we end the episode on a fun note by all of us screaming penis? <laughs> I know. I, I do don't not consent do that very often. often. <laughs> well, in that case, <laughs> Alex can scream penis. In that if case, they want. readers, or rather, darling listeners, I encourage you at this point in time, wherever you are, to scream penis. <laughs> or not. Or not. It's up to you. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. Rewatching Sensate for this episode was uh, 
kind of a weird experience. It made me so intensely nostalgic for 2015 when the most expensive franchise Netflix owned opened with this massive, uncensored celebration of queer love and sex as just one way that humans got to interact, no better or worse than any other kind of sex or love. And I think about that a lot these days, as uh, purity politics creeps ever more into mainstream discourse. Think about how one must write, and presumably have, only precisely the right kinds of sex, and of relationships. I wish, sometimes, that those of us who've spent our lives scared to be judged for how and who we fuck would try a little harder not to terrify one another in turn. But enough of that. We have some even more exciting topics to talk about in upcoming episodes. On the next episode, two weeks hence on September 23rd, we'll be having our extravaganza! No spoilers, but I can guarantee that things got a little silly, because they always do. So, if you have a friend who's into stuff like that, maybe give them a heads up. In the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions? Comments? Breathless adulations? Contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com, at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr, or join in the conversation in our fan Discord chat, which is linked on the About the Show page of our website. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. And by the way, next time you see a sunset, stop and watch it for a minute for me, will you? You deserve a little beauty. I think you've earned it. <laughs>